It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Yes, here it is, Farmer Friday. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. If you want to call in, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. If you would like to, we are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a little while. Uh, but first, we're going to go right to the phone lines. we got Joe calling in from, uh, let's see, Illinois. So, uh, and I don't have my screen up yet. Uh, Janelle, pull that up for us real quick. Joe, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Doing great. So, uh, I hear you have a fertility question for us. Yeah. Uh, first, I just wanted to tell you guys thank you uh, for all you do with the show. I actually started listening to you guys over... 10 years ago now when I was in junior high and <laughs> wow. I didn't grow up on a farm and I recently had the opportunity to uh, start farming. So I've learned a lot and uh, it's cool to get to talk to you. You bet. Awesome. So uh, what can we help you with today? Um, so I've been farming for two years now and I just got my second uh, set of soil test results back. Okay. And up till now, I hadn't uh, had not really done anything with testing for micros, and hadn't really put anything on except a little bit of sulfur and zinc as needed. And you know, now looking at the soil test, everything is is pretty low. You know, the P and K are pretty good, um, but the the sulfur, the zinc, the uh, the manganese, and the boron are all pretty low, and I wondered if it was better to try to address those to just kind of build it right away or maybe do some kind of a, either a band or just kind of feed the crop as needed. Do you rent this ground or own it? Uh, I rent on a, a fairly solid, you know, long-term basis. Okay. We think. Never <laughs> Yes, been there before. Okay, so Joe, I would just say this. I, I mean, when we buy new ground, we first do any dirt work we have to do. We second put tile in. We third put all the fertilizer on we need to get it up to what we consider our ideal levels. But sometimes that costs us just for the fertility alone, 300 bucks an acre. When you are renting ground number one, you're a young farmer number two, um, those things are not going, we, we would not advise you to do the same thing that we would do when we buy ground. So when we start talking about renting ground and you've got now, these now low micros. If you're renting it, Joe, if you're renting it from your grandparents and yeah. they're like, you know what, Joe, someday this ground's going to be yours. That's that's a different story. Yes. Then, then you can treat it like you own it. Right. If it's just, eh, it's a good friend, but they've got a bunch of kids that they're probably going to give the ground to that may not sell it to you, then, then it might be a different story. Yeah. So all we're getting at here is if you know for sure this ground is going to be yours someday, then we do, we are in favor of broadcasting, building the soil up, but you know, you'd have to look at it as your budget allows. So if you say, boy, it would cost me $300 to do it in one year. I just, I, I can't do it, but I could do it over four years and I'll spend $75 a year. Uh, okay. Well, you know, do something like that. That That's perfectly fine. Otherwise, what we usually do talk about on rented acres or when you're especially short and you go, man, I, it's going to break my budget if I broadcast all this, just go band it. Because with manganese, 
and with zinc, they don't move very well in soil. So in other words, if you broadcast it, it could be 10 years before your plants find that manganese and zinc you put out there. Whereas if you band it, your plants are probably going to find it right away. So yeah, we would probably just suggest banding a little bit more than you normally would, like with zinc and manganese and stuff. And and then you also mentioned sulfur and boron. Now, sulfur and boron are both a little different because they can be a little harder on the seed, number one, and they're more mobile, number two. So with both of those, if you wanted to, with those two, sulfur and boron, you could broadcast those. Rain will move it in. It'll move it around in soil. You would be fine. Um, you don't even have to put on massively huge rates or anything, and, and you'll, you'll get some too. To your plants. So I might consider treating my sulfur and boron a little different than, the, than I do my manganese and my zinc. All right. Well, thanks, guys. You bet. Yeah. And uh, I would just say, Joe, if you ever want to send us your soil tests or if you ever have any questions for us, just email us radio at agphd.com. We go through people's soil tests every day. We look at that stuff all the time. And I'm, I just want to applaud you, too, for getting more complete soil tests. You'd mentioned initially you weren't, you hadn't been doing micronutrient testing. We believe that's extremely important. And, well, NP and K are definitely more important than the micros or even the, the secondary nutrients like sulfur. If you are short on any one of those nutrients to an extreme degree, like zinc or manganese or boron, that could impact your yield just as much as being short on NP and K. So a lot of times what we'll tell guys is they say, man, all my money is going to go to NP and K. I don't have any left for micros. I'll say if they're really short on micros, just at least take $5 out of your NP and K program and stick it into your micronutrient program. Because if you get stuff way out of whack in terms of the ratios, that can hurt you more than anything too. So anyway, uh, good job getting the getting these micros tested. And like I say, just let us know if you got any other questions. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All, All right. right. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, uh, I got this one from Anderson who said, hey, I'm missing your full show uploads on YouTube, but I guess I can still watch them on the Ag PhD website. Yep, and on each of those things that you'll see on YouTube, there is also a comment saying, for the full episode, just go to our website. So yeah, just go to our website if you're looking for, for full episodes. Thanks for watching, though. We do appreciate that. I uh, get this one from Max who said, for landowners who rent their land proper nutrient replacement is a serious problem in many parts of the country would love to see you guys talk about that more perhaps put some clips out there on youtube etc yeah hey, we thanks just, max we appreciate that yeah we did just talk about that i think yesterday on our show and we we do talk about that from time to time yes it is really important but it's a lot of back and forth conversations between landlords and tenants there's no one set way on how to handle things all right, lots of different things to discuss on today's Ag PhD show because it's Farmer Friday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42 inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Farmer Friday means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 ag phd or of course you can email us radio at agphd.com we'll get to some of those emails in a little bit but first let's take john from west central minnesota john how are you doing not too bad not too bad um i had a question and uh, it's early enough i think maybe uh i've got a problem with thistle especially in my alfalfa fields and I know somebody told me one time there was a, uh, maybe it's off-labeled, but a chemical you could apply, and it's early enough that the alfalfa isn't up, even if the orchard grass kind of gets killed uh, or back, uh, I can replant that easier. But I need some, uh, instead of having to rip it up, because it's on a real steep side hill. Uh, now, you said alfalfa at first, and then you said orchard grass. Is it alfalfa? Well, it's an or? alfalfa orchard. It's an alfalfa orchard grass. Uh, more alfalfa than orchard grass right now. Okay. As uh, far as the uh, well, that's mix. good, John. I'm glad you didn't say more thistle than orchard grass too. <laughs> that would be a bad, bad day. Well, <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> oh darn! You know it's no fun. Thistles can be really tough, and and you know we just went through uh, uh, some stressful years. Really, uh, some of these alfalfa stands look kind of tough. And for me, if I've got thistle and alfalfa, uh, yeah. I I got the solution. But you're not going to like it. My solution is wait a couple of weeks till things warm up and everything's growing well, and I'm hitting them with Roundup. What what's and, your suggestion? Well, man? yeah, Darren's saying kill it all off, and I know you don't want to do that, John. But okay, here 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 are the herbicides that could be used. The first one is 2,4-DB. That's butyrac. You can only get by with a couple right. couple ounces of that normally. Otherwise, it really dings the alfalfa. Now, that wouldn't hurt the orchard grass at all. So if you said, well, I'll tell you what, on, on a little bit, I'm willing to sacrifice the alfalfa uh, to save the orchard grass and kill all the thistles. Well, we've got plenty of other herbicides that would be way better. 
Uh, but if you say, yeah. I'm trying to save both, there's butyrac and that's it. And that's going to be real weak on that thistle. Otherwise, some people okay. have used Raptor. That's the same basic thing as the old Pursuit, if you remember that from years ago that a lot of people used to use yeah. in soybeans. Yeah, sure. Raptor um, is good for alfalfa weeds, and it doesn't hurt the alfalfa, but that's going to ding up your orchard grass. So what I'm trying to say yeah. here is, and and Raptor isn't very good on thistle anyway, so those are about the only two herbicides that people would even think of using in what you're talking about. It's really hard when we've got a grass and a broadleaf combination mix for yeah. crop. And with alfalfa, there is just flat out nothing labeled for thistles. And uh, I mean, other than, like I say, butyrac, but that's going to be suppression at best. So I I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's just, it's really hard. It's difficult to control weeds in alfalfa and especially thistles. Mm-hmm. Now, what um, I was thinking is, go ahead. What I've, what I've done before is uh, um, cut the, cut them real early and the yep. second cutting that last Last year of alfalfa was pretty much alfalfa and just the rosettes of the thistle. Yep. And I'm wondering if I used one of these early, even if it did, uh, you know, cut back on whatever, uh, and then come in real early and and cut it again before the thistles, you know, when they're still uh, uh, hollow stem. So hopefully we get a rain and they rot out. What what kind of thistle? Uh, most of them are Canadian. Yeah, there's a couple of musk thistle here and there. Okay. But, uh, so here here's what I tell you: with the musk thistle, if you were to keep it from going to seed, you're in great shape long term. So you just keep cutting, and you're yeah. fine. But the problem with the Canada thistle is you can keep cutting all day long, or all year long, or all decade long. Mm-hmm. But that thistle is going to spread below the ground. So that's where we have the problem. I, I mean, the the other option, and I'm going to go back to the old days because this is what we used to have to do. We'd go out with the bean rider or just a, a hand sprayer or the four-wheeler, whatever, and we would squirt every individual thistle with an extremely concentrated rate of Roundup. And I'm talking like 5 to 1 or 10 to 1 water to Roundup mix, and you go squirt those thistles and kill them individually. But yeah, there's nothing you can go spray in dormant alfalfa that's not going to hurt the alfalfa and is going to kill the thistle. I I wish there was, but they're just that that thing doesn't exist. So sorry, uh, sorry, John. I, I wish I had better better news for you. One other th- thing that I was thinking of is. Uh, Make uh, I know there's somebody in South Dakota makes them. Uh, just go out with the uh, well, it's like PVC pipe and the foam on the outside, and then put some Roundup or something in there, and yep. just whack them. With yep, a weed wick or something. Yes. Yes, uh, you you could yeah. certainly do that. I, I was going to throw that out there for you too. If you would luck out, and I hate to even use the word luck out uh, be, with this, that the thistle gets taller than the alfalfa. But yes, sometimes it does work with certain weeds that get well above the height of the crop, and you can go out with a wick. When you do that, you want to mix it 
probably one-to-one water to Roundup. So it's got to be super crazy concentrated, if not even straight Roundup in the stuff, because you're not going to get a lot on each plant. You just have to make sure you're getting a lethal dose on each plant. And when we think about lethal dose, when you've got a Canada thistle, you think about how big that plant is above ground, it might be 10 times that big below ground. The root system is massive. And with uh, by when I say lethal dose, we got to get enough herbicide in the plant to kill each and every growing point all the way through that root system. And if you do that, then you're going to have great success and you've eliminated that thistle permanently. So hopefully you can somehow figure out how to do that on your farm there, John. Uh, We wish you the best of luck with that. Well, thank you very much for your help. You bet. Yep. Yep. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. All right. Let's go up to Ontario. We've got Gary with us right now. Uh, Gary, how are you doing right now? Pretty good, thanks. So, you guys been out in the field yet? Is is anything going in the ground? Uh, uh really nothing in the ground. Uh, we were able to do some a little bit of tillage that we do. We were able to do that in March, and everything has been kind of on hold. We're uh, we were gonna go plant some corn today, but Mother Nature says she decided to be nice and cold and <laughs> three Celsius yes. and drizzle all day long. So that plan is a wash. So. Yeah, it's no fun. Well, and we were talking about here too, if if you just don't want to get out of the tractor cab because it's so cold to check what's happening behind the planter, that's a good sign you probably shouldn't be planting. Right. So, uh, there's a, oh, go ahead. Uh, we've got some... Uh, fellows that are talking this area about planting depths on corn and uh, just wonder what your thoughts were like they're talking about these are agronomists a couple different agronomists they've been saying it for a couple years about planting depths like going to that the two and a half to three inch depth um i kind of have a hard time with that yeah thought yeah we're we we plant strictly in strips Strip tilling, fall strip, so it's stale seed bed, and we can find a very uniform moisture layer, you know, probably inch and a half. We kind of target that two inch. Yeah, what we and what they're saying is that you get more uniform emergence from a deeper setting. Well, that can be true. So here's where that is true. Last year on our farm, just as an example, when we were going along planting it about two inches deep inch and three quarters, right in that kind of range. The soil was inconsistently wet and dry, wet and dry, wet and dry. That's where you have problems in an area like ours where we can't count on consistent rainfall. It didn't rain for two or three weeks. So then we had a little bit uneven emergence. All we had to do is go down to about that two and a half inch depth. Now we had even emergence because we were able to hit the moisture zone. So uh, um, I'll tell you what, uh, if you don't mind hanging on for us, Gary, we got to take a quick break here, but I want to talk about this a little bit more because this is a super important question that a lot of farmers are asking right now. Uh, there is a lot of planting that's going on into drier conditions, and we want to make sure that that seed comes up well. So we'll talk more about that question right after this on Ag PhD Radio. 
If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. Right before the break, we were talking to Gary from up in Ontario. Gary, I'm sorry we ran out of time there before our break, but I want to get back to your question because it's a fantastic one. So uh, for those of us just listening or just tuning in, for those of you just tuning in, uh, what Gary had said is there are some agronomists around him that are talking about two and a half to three inch planting depth on corn. 
and they're getting a more even emergence, or at least that's what they're saying. And I had just brought up the fact that like last year on our farm, we had inconsistencies in terms of wet and dry soils at the inch and three quarter to two inch depth. As soon as we got down into, and really quite frankly, it was about two and a quarter to two and a half inches deep, we were good. Now, normally I will tell you if I had one depth that I could plant all my corn and I think on average, I'm going to get the most yield. It's right in that two to two and a quarter inch depth. I like that a lot. I feel like my corn gets a good base. I know the nodal roots are all below the ground. All that's good. But for years we have talked about, and to your point, Gary, two and a half inches is kind of our cutoff. When you get down to three, it's taking more energy for that seed to get up and you might sacrifice a little bit of yield, plus the fact that it makes it a little harder to get through the soil if there are crusting issues. But because of our experience with super dry weather conditions, we actually have done some stuff down to three inches. And the only exception that I, I would say that we will make and we will make in our recommendations as agronomists to planting deeper than two and a half inches is if you can't hit good, consistent moisture at two and a half inches. But if you can at three, you know, it's a gamble. But we will advise guys, hey, you probably could go down to three here, hit more consistent moisture, get a more even stand, and you're probably going to end up with more yield as long as you don't have big crusting issues. So that those are our comments uh, on this thing. But I would tell you, Gary, we're never going to say as a general statement to, to all farmers, hey, plant your corn at three inches, you'll have more consistent emergence. We do not see that. Yeah, my, their argument was that it's a more uniform temperature, too. Like, it doesn't fluctuate during a cold spell or some of that prior to emergence. So, um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking more like what you're saying is that if they get too shallow, there's some kernels that are just about enough moisture or enough moisture and others that are really good in moisture, and the, yeah. they're, the ones that are adequate in moisture are going to be emerged before the ones that are taking a long time to right. to bring in the moisture enough to germinate it. Yes, I can guarantee I yeah, I can guarantee you it's a moisture thing. Now, part of this too is how well you pack that seed back in. In other words, how well you close up that seed furrow. Getting great seed to soil contact makes a lot of difference in terms of the even emergence. But yeah, I I I I will tell you this. We on our farm have a soil temperature monitor at four inches deep and it varies up to 20 degrees in a single day now granted that would have to be in a very extreme day but even on a normal day at this time of year we will see that vary 10 degrees in a day on a normal day so if i'm varying at four inches deep 10 degrees um does it really matter if you're at three or you're at two i don't think so because that sounds to me like a lot of temperature variability Right. So we tend to be on the shallow side because we we don't have to deal with uh, variable moisture. Sure. Uh, we like in a strip till scenario, a still bed seed bed. If uh, like you pick that inch and a half, two inches, you've got a consistent moisture, and you can firm your seed in. So our target is two inches. Yeah. Yep, like I say, I like two to two and a quarter, but if you ever have this issue where it is a little bit dry, I don't have a big problem going deeper. But yeah, the general statement of two and a half to three, there's no possible way that I would recommend that. Well, hey, uh, Gary, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. Let's head down to Alabama. We've got Mike on with us right now. Mike, how's it going? 
Oh, spectacular, fellas. Hey, I got to jump two collars back and get on that Canadian thistle. Okay. You know, a good, sharp hoe works real well on those. I pay my daughters a nickel apiece, and they have made a bunch of money. <laughs> there you <laughs> but, go. But that's one way to get rid of them. But yeah, no, the other, the other good thing that's job security, Mike, because if they just clip them off right at, right at the surface level, they might get your nickel and then a, a few days later be back out and get another nickel. Oh, we've we've had know. multiple lessons on, <laughs> on getting all the time. Yeah, that's, I know. We, they tried to get me up to a dime, but, but I'm still on that nickel. There we go. There we go. Yeah, we grew up with a lot of Canadian thistles here, too, that we were battling. So, yeah, we, we, know, we know your pain on that one, too. So you guys are out planting today, Mike? We are. We are. We are. It's been a little damp, but we're working our way through it, and it's getting better all the time. Looks like we may finish up tomorrow if things hold up, if this sprayer doesn't get stuck again. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that was quite a picture that you sent to us earlier. Oh, man. That is no fun at all. And then you worry about safety, too, pulling, pulling guys out. Yeah, or tearing up something, but it was it was a pretty easy pull. Just a little tug. He tried to go through a little soft spot that he shouldn't have been but you'll have that. But now we planted about 900 acres last week, and it's coming out like gangbusters. We finally got soil temperature right, moisture's good, life is good. Awesome, so okay. we got to finish up pretty quick. We planted a little bit in March, about 40 acres, just to get the planters all set and get everything going and get a start. And it, it took a little while to see it. <laughs> it was a little chilly, and it kind of stayed in the ground a little long. But it's, And then when it stuck its little head out, it got a little frost. But it's come along. But yeah, we're it's, at good soil, soil temperature and good soil moisture, and things are, are going our way. It's going to be fun to see how that March corn does. I know I've got a friend that farms down in Texas, and uh, they got nipped a bit with some of their early planted stuff this year too. And it, of course, it makes everybody nervous in the South. They, nobody in the South wants to see any frost in the North. We're we're just kind of used to it. It's probably gonna happen on some acres, so we don't worry about it too much. But it seems like that stuff still yields pretty well. I'll bet you a dollar the stuff that I planted right will out yield it. Will outrun it. It just when when we get in the ground right, it just comes out so much. And this. This took 10 to 14 days to emerge, had decent emergence, and have a good stand now, but it, we've used all that energy out of that kernel, and the stuff that was planted later, I bet we'll outrun it. Consistently, I, I like to go early, and I try to go early, but when I get back and, and look back at what it does, the stuff that's planted right does better most all the time. Now, you say it's a little bit damp out there right now. Have you got your pre-emerge herbicides out? What's your target with that? Do you try to get that all done before you plant the field or right after? How do you like to do it? Well, how long do we have? We have changed our whole scenario this year. Usually, I try to burn down early and have the field dead and clean and and plant into it and then put the pre-emerge down right behind the planter. But this year, we said, let's let this cover crop be green because it was pretty thick. We, we had some nitrogen fixing clover, turnips, radish in there. And it, and it got pretty big and we thought, well, it may tangle on those closing wheels if it's brittle. So let's try to plant into it green. So we're planting into it, coming back and putting down uh, nitrogen right over the row with drop nozzles, putting 20 gallons of 28 
and then then coming back and burning down and putting our pre-emerge down afterwards just within the same day of planting sure and it seems to be working we're getting a good kill i was i was worried about disturbing those plants and and with row cleaners and with that planter disturbing them where they wouldn't take up but we're getting a good clean good clean field and everything's right there at the same time and we'll see how it lasts and how it works yeah that's interesting it's always uh always evolving on the farmer always trying to get better always trying to do uh do things a little bit different and green cover sure sure a lot of proponents about that out there get a lot of guys that say man i've had really good luck with that so i agree with you i would have been just a little nervous about how's it going to kill right where i disturbed those plants but sounds like things are going good uh well mike one uh, of the biggest train wrecks one of the biggest train wrecks we've had was i let some rye some cereal rye get up pretty tall and burn it down a week before the planter and it was tough it was rope so that's what we're that's what we're trying to avoid is planting in green seems to work better than half did yeah i i would agree with you on that too hey mike thank you so much really appreciate it and uh, congratulations getting that planting finished up hopefully everything turns out well for you stay tuned we'll be right back with more ag phd Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. 
You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got an agronomic question or just want to talk about what's happening out in your fields, we would love to hear from you. We've been talking a lot about landowners and just relations and, and agreements and so forth. Got one from MMLD here who said, For us, landowners who rent out our land on a 25%, 75% ratio of yield, a sample of a 3-, or 10-year contract that protects the landowner with nutrient replacement would be of great value if you guys could ever come up with something decent. Hey, thanks, MLD. And, and back to Brian's comments before. Man, we get so much feedback whenever we start talking about uh, different contracts for land and especially from the landowners wanting to make sure that that's maintained, but also for t- from tenants who are saying, you know, I want to build this land up. I want to have it be highly productive, but I'm just worried I'm, I'm going to lose the land down the road. And then I've invested a whole bunch of money that I get nothing for. And I'd love to have a way to recoup some of those costs if possible. Uh, get one from Mark here. And we were talking about manure the other day. He said, we simply just put manure back to the field where the plant uh, material came from. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. That's what you got to do. If you're cutting silage, put manure back on there. Get a lot of those nutrients back in those fields. And, yeah, just make sure that you're doing a good soil testing program, too, because if you're short of something and you put back manure that's short in that same nutrient, it just gets to be a vicious cycle, and it can really catch you real quick. Uh, yeah, or long. So. If you say, well, I'm going to put everything back that I took off, well, yeah, but you're putting everything and more, and the end more is salt. So, well, plus organic material and biologicals and all that kind of stuff in the manure. But we get very worried about excess of salt when you're putting manure on. So, in other words, what I'm saying here is there's a limit to how much manure you should put on each year or maybe every six months or whatever. You have to have time for that salt to dissipate. Otherwise, you could cause more harm than good with the manure. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. Like for our dad, he used to talk about how when he first bought our home farm from my grandparents on, on our mom's side, uh, they our, my grandparents were getting ready to retire, and so my parents bought it at whatever they had it appraised for. And my dad just said, yeah, this ground north of the trees he goes, uh, that wouldn't produce anything. And so he asked his father-in-law, well, how about this? Ah, oh, that ground's just dead, whatever. Well, that was where he, it was close, the closest from the manure pile. So that's where he hauled all the manure and he'd overloaded it with salt. So my, our dad stopped hauling manure there for a little while. And all of a sudden the ground got to be really productive. It's some of the best ground we have now. But when you overload it with salt, that's a real problem. All right, I uh, get some feedback from Mark here. We were talking about um, dandelion control, and he said maybe you just want to call it 2,4-D for dandelion. 
two four dandelion. Yeah, we do we do often use two four D in those situations just because there there we need a choice that's not going to kill the grass, but it's going to be pretty hard on those dandelions. Well, yes, but two four D is not that great on dandelions because remember, dandelion is a perennial weed. So it's it's not 2,4-D is not the best at getting down into root systems, so that's generally why we say, hey, for any perennial weed you're trying to control with a 2,4-D or dicamba product, since they don't get into the root systems very well, you're probably going to have to make multiple applications per year for several years to get those weeds stopped fully. All right, yeah, they, they're definitely tough weeds. You know, here's the other thing, Brian. We're talking about it being kind of cold for planting. It's a little cold for spraying. So if you've got dandelions in your it's yard and you're thinking, oh, I can't be out in the field planting, I'll just knock this job out, eh, you might want to wait a little bit on that one too. you got to wait, So especially when the nighttime temps are getting it, down below freezing. But even if they're below 50, you're not going to have as great a success as when that weather it's warms It's so up. tempting though, Brian, because a lot of the trees aren't really going yet and, and the flowers aren't really going yet. I get that and we do say we like to spray 2,4-D in April well, before everything gets wrong okay. but you just have to wait a little bit longer. But there's a big difference between your lawn and your field. In the field I look at that as hey I want to wait and let the weather warm up a little bit. In the lawn I've got all these other plants I'm much more concerned about like flowers and trees which I don't have in my field. So I, I put on if I put on a strong enough rate to give me good residual in the in the lawn I feel pretty good. I'm okay spraying early. I know my contact activity isn't going to be as good, but the residual will still be there. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Got Justin with us in southeast Nebraska. Justin, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. You got the fields all ready to go, and and got the planter ready to go. Or are you already out in the field? Not at the moment. It's been a little cold for my liking. Yeah, it sure has. It's got to change, though. We talk about that a lot. We can't get as warm as we did and then go as cold as we did without some at some point getting back to a little bit more normal temperatures here. So when you do get going, what are you going to put in the ground first? Is corn going in first? Soybeans going in first? You got something else going on? Well, there's two planters that kind of like to start both of them at the same time. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's getting to be uh, getting to be more common out there. When when you're going early on soybeans, do you do anything different, or is it pretty much the same program on every acre of beans? I suppose the only thing different I do is definite seed treatment. Where towards the end, it, I don't use it near as much, just for hoping the temperatures are warm enough. Sure. Sure. Now, in your part of Nebraska, I know a lot of folks are fighting with low pHs, uh, dealing with lime and those types of things. Uh, what have you noticed with, with soil pH and management on your farm? Is that something you guys have been doing for a long time, or is that, that something that, that you're looking to get into here? Oh, we've been soil testing every acre every other year, and every fall, weather permitting, we're liming something somewhere. We've been doing a pretty good job on ground we own over the last 20 years, but a lot of the ground we've picked up over the years, it seems like that was the first place people cut money. They had enough phosphorus, but the pH is always in the fives. And trying to play catch-up takes a while. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's not cheap either, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so as you're doing the soil sampling every other year on your ground, what, what have you learned? Have you seen some trends out there? Do you see a lot of consistency once you kind of get the rotation down that, yep, I know we're going to be back building this every year, or do you see a lot of surprises? Well, I guess I did a more in-depth uh, soil test here a couple years ago, and in the past we'd never applied any uh, manganese and all of a sudden I do that test and pretty much everywhere is required in it which is kind of a surprise yeah yeah that's it's interesting you know I know for for our farm too we used to have a bunch of livestock and and we haven't put a lot of manure out in until just the last few years and now we've got a, a dairy that's expanding by us so I'm sure we'll be dealing with a lot more manure but yeah it's been been interesting watching some of those trace elements over the years no doubt about that well Justin thanks for calling in we really appreciate it good luck to you here as you get rolling out in the fields it's going to warm up soon thank you you do all right, Brian, I uh, got a question from Kyle, and he said, I recently started listening to your radio show and enjoy the information you're sharing. I've heard you mention several times you're not super concerned about planting into cold soils nope. because you have some steps that you're using to help. Yes. Just wondering if you could give us some additional information. We're in the western panhandle of Nebraska, and it's been snowing. So we're hoping to plant uh, the end of next week. Okay, so there are a lot of people that will talk about imbibitional chilling. And basically, they get worried about a cold rain after planting. Uh, look, number one, I'm not worried about cold rain. I'm just worried about cold soil, period. So here are the seven things that we always talk to people about. And I'll move quickly through this. One, don't plant before the crop insurance date. Okay, Crop insurance people are way smarter than us farmers and agronomists because they have all the data. They have all the information we would all be just as smart if we had all the same information. Okay, I'm not saying we're dumb. I'm just simply saying they know it's too early to plant before the crop insurance date. Two, the soil's got to be fit. So I'm talking about dry enough to plant. You want a warm, or I should say a cold germination test above 90%, if at all possible. Okay, so test your seed because no seed company puts that on the tag. Use a great seed treatment, use a little bit of infro fertilizer, a little bit of infro insecticide, and a little bit of the right infro fungicide like Headline, for example, has been proven to be pretty safe and helpful to, uh, to your emergence. So we can talk more about that after this break. It's a Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. 
Mycoapply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about Mycoapply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side. So it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio on a Farmer Friday. Just before the break, Brian was talking about planting into colder soils. Now, obviously, if you've got one field to plant and you can plant it in a day, wait until you've got great weather. Why would you take a risk and, and push it and try to get in there early? But if you got a million acres to get over and it's going to take you a long time, then you're, you're going to be pushing it on the early side. And if you're doing that, we're just suggesting you try and do everything you can to protect your seed. Yes. Uh, our, our big thing here is you can plant in cold soils. So when you hear talk about, um, no, you've got to wait until the soil temp is a, a certain level. And <laughs> I'm just going to say... I'm going to throw this out there, and you may feel differently about this, but I, I, when I hear unrealistic things about, oh, it's got to be 55 or 57 degrees or whatever, I'm going, um, we don't get to 55 average soil temp until we get to late May. And I can promise you, if I plant my corn in late May versus in, let's call it late April, on average, I'm getting murdered on yield. I mean, there's no chance. I'm never going to even make it as a farmer because my yield is going to be so horrible. I can't wait. So when we farm in this kind of geography, and I realize I'm being super blunt here, but I, I'm just I'm just trying to lay it out for you. We farm in a really cold climate, and I know it's colder for a lot of other people who are north of us. But I think about how cold our soil is here. It's 40 degrees right now for soil temp, and we're planting corn. I don't care. It's not going to bother me as long as I follow those seven steps. Now, if you aren't willing to invest just a few extra dollars, then by all means, yes, we, we encourage you to wait and pray for, for warm soil temps. 
I wish I could plant all my seed into warm soils. It would be amazing. I love it when we're able to do that, when the things warm up early. But we have such a short growing season that if we don't get that seed in the ground, we're in trouble, at least most years. Here's the other thing that I, I thought was really good. This is something that our dad always used to tell us, whether we were talking about planting or harvest. He said, guys, here's the way this works. If you start three days later, you can't think about it as, oh, we just started three days later, no big deal. You have to think about, you are now going to finish three days later. So he said, like with harvest, for example, um, when does the snow start flying, guys? And we're like, oh, okay, now I get, now I see what you're talking about. If we finish three days later, that's a real problem. Yep. Same thing on the, on the planting. Are you going to lose more by planting later or by planting on the early side? So which would you rather have, being on the late side or being on the early side? I'm always like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I see now. I would like to be on the early side. But if you want great success with that, you, you got to do these, these seven things that we're talking about, and then it will work. All right. Next question, Darren. All right. Uh, this one comes from New Zealand. This is from Colin. He said, we're, we're farming in New Zealand and we're selling forage to dairy farms, growing corn silage over the summer, rye, rye grass and clover over the winter, which is harvested for silage in the spring. Our soils get a CEC between 12 and 20. Our pH is around 6 and our organic matter is 3.5%, and we're getting 70 inches of annual rainfall. Our soil is severely degraded after 45 years of continuous cultivation. So we want to improve our profitability and yield and believe that one of the key factors will be improving soil health, microbial activity, organic matter, soil structure. So we're transitioning to strip-till. So do you have any experience or recommendations uh, around strip-till and soil health? And also, have you ever worked with carbon sources like biochar to help stimulate things? Yes. Yep. So we've done all that stuff. Um, I, I would say here is one of the most important things that we think about drainage. You told me 70 inches of rain per year. We get 22. Um, we still have tile in every single field we've got. And we have CECs maybe just a little bit heavier than you, but you talked about 12 to 20. A lot of our CECs are 18 to 20. Now, granted, we have some heavier stuff too, but I'm just saying that's the first thing that I'm going to think about because as soon as you go to strip till as opposed to conventional till, your soils are going to be a little wetter. Okay, so that's number one uh, is tile. Number two is balanced soil fertility. When people want to talk about soil health, the two big things I hear are no-till and cover crops. Okay, I mean, those are good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with no-till and cover crops, but what I am saying is... I can raise a lot more crop if I have ample and balanced soil fertility. So if you want to send us your soil tests, we'd be more than happy to take a look at them. But when you have that, you're going to have more root growth. Okay, Soil health is dependent on root growth, and that's almost number one in my book. If you have a massive amount of roots in that soil, you're going to have food for all the, the soil microbes. You're going to build soil organic matter faster. You are going to have uh, stability in your soil because stuff isn't going to be able to wash away when you get all those roots there holding that soil in place. So those are, those are the biggest keys that I can think of. With strip-till, yeah, we, we took our no-till acres and switched them to strip-till about 
I don't know, 17 years ago, I'm going to say. And the reason why we did that is we had two issues with no-till. Number one, our soils didn't warm up fast enough because we're in a really cold area of the United States. But number two, we didn't get our fertility down where it really needed to be. We want our fertilizer down at 6, 8, 12 inches deep. Number one, to protect it. So we don't have to worry about loss and we don't have to worry about environmental contamination with things like phosphorus. And two, because the majority of roots for the crops that we raise are in that range of about four to nine inches deep. So if we can get our roots down, our fertility down where the roots are, that's great. And then the other thing is for us, we dry out more. Now, again, you, if you get 70 inches of rain, that's a whole different deal than us. But we really like it when we have dry periods for even a week or two if we have more fertility deep. Because I always tell people, look, if you've got moisture down there and you have roots down there, that's all great. Okay, It's down at 12 inches, moisture, the roots, everything's good with that. But here's the thing. It's just like you or me. If somebody gives us water for two straight weeks with no food, how happy are we going to be? Not very darn happy. And that's what your plant is going through if it's getting water in, but it can't get any nutrients with it. So get the nutrients down deeper with that strip till, and then at least in those drier periods where your plants bring in water, it will also bring in nutrients. We see a win every time when we get into these drier years. Strip till is a great uh, practice. But we do like the fact that, hey, now we're not tilling everything, so we get some of the benefits out of no-till, and we are able to increase soil organic matter levels by using strip till, improve soil health, and like I say, over time, we can definitely improve yields, but it's it, uh, there's a little bit of learning curve there. It is a little bit different. Strip till takes some time. It requires a little effort, and you got to make sure that you're doing it right because you're setting up your rows for whenever you're going to plant. Right. Thanks for the question. Uh, okay, Brian, I don't know if we've got time for three questions here, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. So first, this is from Austin in Wisconsin. He's got three, three questions. First of all, he said, we use the Bray P2 test uh, for okay. phosphorus yep. in Wisconsin. You guys, a lot of times talk about the P1. What's the difference between the two? P1's available today. P2 is what should be available between today and the entire growing season. So, yep, P2 is great. That's fine. Keep yep. using that. Yep. Okay, second, he said, I'm experimenting pushing yields on full farm averages. What are your thoughts on how to increase starch levels in corn to the point that they prevent the corn from denting? What key macro, micro nutrients and plant All hormones are you using? Our pH is 6.7. We have 40 parts per million of P, 160 parts per million of K, which is 4% base saturation, yep, and 70% calcium. Yep. Uh, I would say double your P and K. And then on top of that, you got to have everything else follow with it in ratio. So, but it's literally every single nutrient, and it's got to be ample and available and balanced every single day of the growing season. And that's how you do it. Okay. And third question, he said, we're we're soil sampling everything on a three-year rotation, but we've been starting now to spread 200 pounds of dry AMS in the spring on some of our higher yielding acres. Yep. By applying that much AMS, do you feel we need to soil sample more often to monitor our pH change? No. Nope. That's a minor amount. If you're doing 1,000 pounds, then yeah, it's possible. But 200, no. Nope, you're going to use all that up. It's great. We have no issue doing that. You're not going to see any big pH change out of that, even if you do it for 10 years in a row. Okay. Also, Austin apparently wants Brian to do more work. He said, Brian, I won your book at a meeting, and I look forward to reading your next one. <laughs> so get to work, right. Brian. Okay. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you, though. Yeah, you never know what's coming out of Farmer Friday. That That's what makes it so much fun for us. Now, if we didn't get to your question today or if you thought of another question or a follow-up to something that happened, you can always call into our show each weekday or just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.